what we've done up until this point is we looked at the first four commandments, which is all about how we are to relate to and worship God as our Heavenly Father. And today, looking at the fifth commandment, while it addresses family, it's really about how we love and care for our neighbor. It starts at that, like with the nuclear family, but it extends out to all of authority. And I'm going to read our text in just a second, but I I intentionally wanted to start with the introduction we get to the Ten Commandments, because it starts um, by telling us that, that God first rescued us, and then he gives us how we are to live. And so even as we look at the commandment today, I want that to be in the back of our head, that God rescues and then he gives us this beautiful picture of how we are to live and to relate with each other. So we're going to look at three different scriptures, and then I'm going to pray for our time. Then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. And then jumping down to the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And then looking at a New Testament passage, one of Paul's letters, Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may live or may have a long life in the land. Let me pray. Father, thank you again for the gift of this morning that we get to come and worship you. I do pray now as we turn our attention to your word and specifically your law, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, soften our hearts to maybe these areas of our life where we're resistant uh, to change, to um, hearing um, the good news of the gospel. I pray that you would be in this time. I pray that in our time this morning that you would become more beautiful and believable. We pray this in your name. Amen. Um, so this winter, so I, I have two boys. Um, one is almost four. Uh, the youngest just turned one back in May. And we had a bit of a crazy winter with sickness. Nothing that serious, um, but a lot of like head colds and stuff like that. And there was one weekend in particular where both of our boys came down with croup. And if you're not familiar with croup, it sounds like really intense. It's this like barky car cough and they're kind of, they're wheezing. And so... Going into the weekend, both of our boys, they had those, like, the the precursor to that cough, and we were a little nervous going to sleep Friday night, and then we wake up in the middle of the night, and sure enough, our youngest wakes up with that barky cough, and he's wheezing, and so we decide that it would be best, especially, he's under one, so it's like, anything respiratory always makes us nervous, so we take him to the ER, he gets a breathing treatment, we come home, like, breakfast time, so I'm, I'm the one that takes him that night. Um, and I come home, I'm pretty exhausted, but we're doing okay. And we kind of get through Saturday. And Saturday night, kind of a similar to the night before, both boys are, are still sick. And then we go to bed, and then we wake up to our, our three-and-a-half-year-old at the time, and he has the, the barky cough, and he's wheezing. And then our youngest wakes up crying as well. Um, and then in that moment, as Emma and I, my wife, were talking through what we're going to do, I'm holding Butler as he's crying. Emma's taking our oldest outside to see if maybe the cold air can help him to breathe. I look at her as she's walking towards the door, and I'm like, we're done having kids. I can't do a third. (laughs) And that's not the time to make that decision in exhaustion, but I was like, how is this going to work if we're no longer able to do man-to-man? Like, this would be just a nightmare. 
Um, but I share that and I start out by, by thinking about that because that's a moment, and I'm sure many of the parents in this room have felt moments like where you feel the weight of being a parent, where in moments where you're like, how, how can I do this? I'm at my end right now. I'm exhausted. Um, but, but the truth of, of being a parent is it's weighty. And so much about being a parent has given me new eyes to see my own parents and the way they've cared for me, the way they cared for me growing up. But it's also given me new eyes to see myself, how I can um, be selfish and, and sinful. Um, and there's so much about being a parent that I love. They bring me so much joy. But the reality, too, is it, it's really hard. <laughs> it, it's one of the hardest things I've ever done and will do. And there's a weightiness to it. And part of that is we know that as parents, we're responsible for forming and shaping the hearts of our kids. Um, being in youth ministry, I read a lot about what influences the life of a child and, and their faith, and it's the, the parent is the number one influence on the life of the child. And so that's a weight, and I think it's good for us to see that um, and to feel it. Um, a, a psychiatrist I like a lot, he explains how when kids are born— uh, they come into the world looking for someone that's looking for them. Um, and so uh, what I like about that and his definition is it goes beyond just this desire to be seen. They want to be found. They want to be known. And I'm sure for many of us in this room, maybe your parents did a really good job of that. Like you felt seen, you felt loved, you felt cared for. But I would imagine several of us felt missed growing up. And the reality is, is no, no matter how great our parents were at loving us, they, they weren't perfect. Um, they are sinful, raising sinful kids. Um, so it can be one of the most loaded and complex relationships that we have. And in looking at the Ten Commandments, this transition of us loving our neighbor, I think it's beautiful. I, I saw just like God's design and how the, they flow with this almost being like dead center. And it's this relationship that continues to address our relationship with authority, but it's in the, the context of the family. It's where we learn how to relate with others. It's where we learn how to relate with authority, with our siblings. It's where we learn how to relate to people. Um, and before I dive in, I do, I, I talked on this a, a little bit. Um, I know that this is a, a tender place for many. I'm not going to be able to uh, go through all the nuances to this. Um, and I know that, um, yeah, just the relationship that we have with our parents is, is hard um, at times. There's, there's tension, there's brokenness, uh, there's um, complexities that are really, really difficult to navigate. And so I do, I want to be sensitive to that, but I also want to really consider what God, in his command, he tells us to, to do this pretty clearly, not because our parents deserve it, but it's just one of his commands. And I hope that, and I want to invite you into um, the wave of emotion that I felt as I was prepping for this. At times I felt guilty, I felt conviction, I felt longing for things to be different, I felt gratitude, and I felt hope. So with that in mind, let's dive into really, I want to start out by explaining, okay, what does this even mean? What does it mean to honor our parents? Um, I think there are really simple and practical implications for this commandment, especially 
for younger kids. Um, we, my, my family and I, we, we were at a camp a couple weeks ago, and we, um, it was so fun just to be there as a family. It was a, a small little mission trip we did. We took a few students, and our oldest son was in this sweet place where he's, he's old enough to where he's starting to be able to, like, engage in the activities and do some of the fun things. And so it was fun getting to watch him do those things. He played hard, and with that, he was tired. He needed to nap. He needed to sleep at night. And when he would go to sleep, he would sleep really, really well. But he's in this place right now where every time he lays down and goes to sleep, he's like, hey, why do we have to go to sleep? And I have to tell him, I'm like, well, God made us for sleep and we need rest. And I'm tired and I need you to go to sleep. Um, But we know that as parents, for him to uh, be a healthy kid, he needs, to, he needs to get his nap. He needs to eat healthy. He can't just have dessert, which is what he wants to eat, as we sit down and, and eat a meal together. So he needs all these good things, and as his parents, we want to create boundaries and, and good things for him to, to thrive and to flourish, and he's going to push back on that at times which I think relates to this promise that, that we see. It says that we'll live long in the land. Um, I think what it's getting at there is that we will live well, or another way of putting it is that we will flourish. Because the reality is, is God, uh, God's son, Jesus, he lived this out perfectly, and his life was cut short. And so I think a better way of us thinking about this is that, that we will, it will do, we'll do well to listen to this. And I think that wellness looks different um, for each of us in this room in some ways. But I do want to draw out some of the distinctions between obeying our parents and honoring them because the Ephesians passage specifically says obey. And the word that it uses for children is specifically addressing young children. And so I think it's pretty clear for young kids, if you are in your parents' household, this commandment is pretty straightforward, that you are to obey them and listen to them. Um, As long as they're not driving you away from the Lord or telling you to do something sinful, you are to obey them even if you do not like what they're guiding you and telling you to do. But for us, most of us in this room as adults, we're told to honor. I think there's great intentionality of why God chose that word specifically. Um, And in the original Hebrew, the word that is used there is the same word that's often used to describe how um, God's glory, it's the word for heaviness. And so another way of thinking about this would be that your relationship with your parents is to have a weightiness to it. I think uh, most of us probably have relationships where they carry more weight. When something is difficult, um, we want to call up a friend or a mentor, or maybe it is your parents, because you want their wisdom. You want them to speak into the situation, and their specific advice and guidance has a specific weight to it. And so they were, we're seeing it's this weight. It's not just that we're simply to obey and to listen. And I, I think Jen Wilkin Um, In her book, Ten Words to Live By, Delighting in and Doing, she describes honor this way. She says, honor is an expression of rightly ordered love. When we love as we should, we honor the object of our love as we should. It is possible to show honor whether we love an individual or not, at least outwardly. Honor rendered without love is still better for the common good than dishonor, but it is an empty obedience 
The motive matters. Honor fueled by love lies at the heart of the fifth word as it does at the heart of all ten. So I love her words there where she says, so honor is the expression of rightly ordered love. Honor is fueled by love. So at its core, we are to love our fathers and our mothers. And as the, um, the Heidelberg mentioned, we are to extend this honor and love to those that God has placed in authority over us, not just in our household. So we are to give them the due weight of their position. We are to be loyal to them, be patient with them. We are to love them, forgive them, and we are to care for them. And in honoring um, that authority that God has placed in our life, I do think we, it, it goes well for us, um, though it's not as obvious as it is for children. Um, but I, I, I think this is uh, easier said than done, right? I'm sure you could probably think of 50 ways where your parents aren't deserving of your honor because it's complicated. Our relationship with our parents, as I mentioned earlier, can be so complex. And if you've been in a community group and you've gone through stories, but imagine that maybe majority of the stories, if not all of them, probably highlighted some of the complexity to the relationship that they have with their own uh, fathers and mothers. Um, there's so many emotions and there can be so much brokenness with that relationship. Um, and it's not only the relationship we have with our fathers, but also we have with our kids because it's, it's going both ways. And I know even with my kids being so young, I've failed in both directions with this. I've, I've failed both as a son and as a father. Um, so it's, it's messy. It's hard. Um, I, uh, I was listening to this, um, this audio book by Malcolm Gladwell where he was um, essentially interviewing Paul Simon. And Paul Simon, I'm a hippie at heart. He was one of my like, um, favorite musicians as a high school student. Um, I, I love everything from his early stuff with Simon and Garfunkel, and I, I really love his later stuff. I bring this up because um, so much of it was so personal and intimate. And uh, Paul Simon, he had a partnership with Art Garfunkel, and they were a great duo. But um, in one of the interviews with Gladwell, and, and Paul Simon is in his 80s now as he's, as he's talking about this, he described with obvious pain how his mother told him that at one point, um, and this is, I think, in his 20s, he said, Paul, you have a nice voice, but Artie, Art Garfunkel, he has a fine voice. And you could see, just as he, as he talked about it, that he still had this, like, distress as an 80-year-old man about the words of his, that his mother told him. That, I mean, and this is one of, like, the best singer-songwriters of the past century, and, I mean, continuing to make music now. So he has a beautiful voice, but that carried weight for him, and that dictated, yes, his relationship with his mom, but also his relationship with his own work and how he wrote music and songs that he chose to sing and songs that he didn't cho choose to sing. And I bring that up because that just kind of, like, that was probably a, a, a something she said in passing and didn't think twice about it. 
but it had such significance in his life that he was still holding on to so many decades later. And I don't think she had ill intentions, um, but I know that even the best parents can say something or do something that hurts a child. And this definitely murkies the water for um, practically honoring them. And that's not to mention if there is addiction um, or some kind of big failure or detrimental sin that happens, that murkies it, the water even more. And I think as we get older, um, especially like moving out of adolescence and into adulthood, I think that's when it's kind of like, well, what does this even look like? How do I do it? Um, because even as a, a, my four-year-old, he pushes back on boundaries. How much more as we get independent do we push back on those um, and the reality is that for us to honor our parents, we're not to just simply obey them and, and listen to them. If, if you're 30 years old and calling your parents for every time you need to make a decision and that's your main guide, that, that might not be healthy anymore. Um, there's so much about actually honoring your parents is growing up, becoming more independent and not relying on them um, in the same way that you did as a child. Um, so... Yeah, um, but in that, in the messiness, we're still told to honor them. And Sarah Hinklicky Wilson, uh, I hope I pronounced that right, I think she, she gets at some of the complicatedness of us honoring um, our, our families and why it can be so hard. She says, family is given. You've got no choice in the matter, which is one of the reasons it drives us crazy. That's also the grace of it. You have to accept that these odd ducks are from the same birdie lineage as your own and deal with them anyways. This is what makes family such good training ground for undesired sanctification, its unchosenness. And see, what she's naming there is, is one of the difficulties. We get to, especially once we hit college, we get to choose our friends. We get to choose who we want to interact with. We get to choose our community, but we don't get to choose our family. But the beauty of that is God and his perfect wisdom gave us our parents. And in many ways, that's really hard. And we might have to wrestle with why God even did that. But I think as we learn what it looks like to honor our family, it teaches us what it looks like to, to trust God and his sovereignty and his goodness. Um, and I think that's part of the blessing the, the wellness that comes with trying to do this. But no matter what our relationship with our parents or with our children looks like, the gospel gives us great reason to hope. If we are in Jesus, we are part of God's family. And we have a heavenly father that loves us perfectly. Paul explains the beauty of our adoption through Jesus. He, he writes in Galatians, when the, when the time came to completion, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And be, because you are sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then God has made you an heir. 
See, that's the good news of our adoption, and I believe that's where redemption and restoration and guidance with how to even do this takes root. It is an understanding how deeply we are loved by the Father that ultimately frees us up to love our earthly parents and those that God has placed in authority in our lives. Getting at this idea of adoption, we do this study. A lot of us in leadership have gone through this study called Sonship. In the very first chapter, um, there's this article that this, this woman that was going through this study um, wrote, and she um, explains how this specific painful memory of her upbringing had stuck with her. It's called My Father's Shirt. And in the article, this woman describes a painful, this painful memory. She was outside with her sister who was hanging their father's white business shirts on the clothesline. And the young girl, she's not quite tall enough yet, but she wants to help out. She wants to show how much she loves her father just by doing the simple act of helping his laundry to dry. So since she's not able to reach the clothesline, what she does is she drapes it over a wheelbarrow. And she does that with joy, and then she walks away. And the thing she didn't notice, that the the wheelbarrow was rusty. And so when her dad gets home and he sees how his shirt is ruined, it's stained from the rust. He becomes angry. And he ends up punishing her severely. I think, I was trying to, I just asked myself, why am I getting emotional? It's these small moments like that. Or I probably had with my own son that can negatively affect our own relationship, but it ultimately it affects our relationship and how we view God. And that's where she goes on to describe this, uh, this story and how it relates to, or how it shapes how she relates to God. And as she was processing this story and thinking through how God saw her now, now that she's familiar with God as her heavenly father, her counselor enters into that with her, and he, he asks her, how do you think God would have looked at you in that moment when he comes home and he sees the shirt? And she said, I guess if the father saw me standing next to the wheelbarrow with the ruined shirt on it, he would forget the shirt and hug me. And her counselor responded, you still don't understand fully. God would not Overlook the shirt, but take it, put it on, and wear it to work. And when someone commented on the rust marks, he would say, Let me tell you about my little girl and how much she loves me. Do you see that? That's how deeply we are loved by the Heavenly Father. So in us being united to Christ and us being his adopted children, we have a perfectly, a perfect heavenly father. But not just that, we now, we are a part of a family. We are each other's brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers. Jesus explains this. He says in Mark 3, 33 through 35, or 31 through 35, 
His mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him and told him, Look, your mother and your brothers and your sisters are outside asking for you. He replied to them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those sitting in a circle around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. And see, what Jesus is doing there is he's expanding beyond what our family is. And then he goes even further where we perfectly see him living out the fifth commandment as he is dying on the cross. We get this account. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, here, and speaking of John, his close disciple, he says, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple John took her into his home. And so I wanted to share those two passages because we get this picture of how we're not just left up to ourselves. If we had this messy upbringing, one of the beauties is that God calls us into his own family. And I I strongly believe that that is where restoration, redemption take place. And I think that's where we learn what it looks like through us learning how to relate to each other. Um, Because we are united in Christ, that does not mean we are all alike. Um, But we have a, a bond greater than anything this world has to offer. That's greater than race, that's greater than our financial background greater than what part of city we live in. We are united in Jesus. And so I think it's in this place, in this space, this messy family called the church, where when we allow ourselves to be known, that's where we learn what it looks like to honor those in authority, our parents. Um, Kurt Thompson a counselor or psychiatrist that I mentioned earlier, if you're ever wanting to just read up on kind of how the mind and um, spirituality come together, I think Kurt Thompson is one of the, uh, one of the best speaking into this, where he says this, this idea of being known, um, our Western world has long emphasized knowledge, factual information and proof over the process um, and proof. So that's what we major in as a Western culture. And then he goes on and writes, over the process of being known by God and by others. No wonder then that despite all our technological advancements and the proliferation of social media, we are more intra and interpersonally isolated than ever. Yet it is only when we are known that we are positioned to become conduits of love. And it is love that transforms our minds, makes forgiveness possible, and weaves a community of desperate people into the tapestry of God's family. Which leads us to, I just want to land on thinking of two specific ways where how we are even to do this. And I've been talking about this, this first one, where it's how how we're not to do this alone. What I want to encourage you is, even if you have a healthy relationship with your parents, Ask yourself that question, what does it look like for me to honor them? And then invite others into that, be it people in your community group, be it a mentor, be it a friend. Don't go at this alone. 
I would say for many of us, and myself included, that's a, a big thing I've had to work out in counseling and just my relationship with my own parents and what that looks like. And I think that's a really healthy place to do that, to navigate and figure out, okay, how do I even do this? With all of its complexities, what does this mean for me tangibly? Um, so invite other people into it. But I think this is the most important is for us to look to our Heavenly Father who loves us perfectly. That's why I wanted to share that story about the, the rusty shirt. Because I think when we grasp how deeply we are loved by the Father, that changes everything. It is God and God alone that can love us perfectly. That's what frees us up to no longer look to our value and self-worth from our parents and what they think of us. Even if you have this phrase bouncing around your head like Paul Simon decades later, I think when we're rooted and grounded in God's love and affection for us, our identity being rooted and grounded in Him, that's what actually frees us up to love and honor our parents. But two, it frees us up to forgive them because we're able to see, oh man, I've messed up. I'm undeserving of the Father's love, yet through the death and life of Jesus, I have his perfect record. And God loves me perfectly. A quote that I've, I've heard a lot, but I've never put it in the context of the Ten Commandments is, um, you may have heard it before from one of C.S. Lewis's letters. He writes, to love to love you as I should, I must worship God as creator. And when I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. And so far as I learn to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God and instead of God, I shall be moving towards the state in which I shall not love my earthly dearest at all. When first things are put first, second things are not suppressed, but increased. I think I've always looked at that kind of in this like romantic sense, but I think it's, it's so true for parents with their kids, um, kids with their parents, and just relational, that um, horizontal relationship that we have with each other. It's in loving God and us finding our security there that frees us up to love our neighbor. And I think when we understand um, all of this, it does lead to a life of flourishing with all its heartache and hardship. Um, I think when we understand um, God's love and it seeps down into us, um, it fills our hearts with gratitude and we're overwhelmed by God's grace and there's an overflow that comes with that. We are able to extend that same grace to others. And we can see that um, just the areas where we failed um, and receive God's goodness and grace, it frees us up to be conduits of his love and grace and affection. So I want to end with that. Let me pray. Father, thank you um, for the parents that you placed in our life, for the authority you placed in our life. I do pray, Father, that um, you would give us space, be it this afternoon or this week, to wrestle with what it means to honor 
uh, our, our father and our mother, what it means to honor those that you've placed in our life um, to lead us. Um, and Father, thank you for the great love and affection that you have on us. I pray that even just thinking of that, that little girl um, placing her dad's white shirt on that wheelbarrow, I pray that, um, that we could put ourselves in that story and, and process how you love us, that you aren't ashamed of us, that you, you are proud of us, and that you delight in us. Um, yeah, we pray that we would believe that and hold on to that. We pray this in your name. Amen.